welcome back to another episode of the ADH Dads. I am your host, CJ. I'm JJ. And today we are joined with a very special guest. I'd like you all to please welcome Sandy Hurd. She is a um, uh, uh, therapist for kids that she does a lot of art play and puppet play, puppet play or she was in, in her past life. Um, so we brought her on today to talk about, um, you know, what kind of benefits that that can have for our kids, especially those with ADHD and neurodivergent conditions. So uh, please thank you uh, for coming on, Sandy. And, and welcome. And uh, please, uh, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, um, I have a private practice in Olympia, Washington. I have a son who's extremely ADHD and I adore him. And um, I see kids every week. I was going to retire and that didn't happen yet. So um, <laughs> I see a lot of ADHD kids. And I'm a mental health been- counselor. I'm I'm not a PhD. And how long have you been uh, doing mental health with children? Since 1984. All right, before I was born. You. <laughs> You're just a baby. That's right. <laughs> so yeah, I'm curious. What did what did uh, family life look for you, look like for you growing up? Uh, where did you come from, and how big was your family, and what was your uh, relationship with your dad? What did that look like? Um, I grew up in San Jose. I was born in 52. Um, In 53, or early part of 54, my father got polio and died. And, um, you know, I still have a relationship with him. You know, it's kind of like he's this person in my life that always loves me, even though he's not here. Um, My mom remarried. Uh, She was a mess after he died. And Um, So there was me and my brother, and my parents were in the process of adopting a cousin. And so they got to, um, my mom got to adopt her. And then my mom remarried when I was five to a man who had two boys and was divorced. Then they had two more kids. So that's seven kids. My house was crazy. Wow. Wow. Yeah. I I love silence. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny because I grew up an only child and I love the chaos of a house with three kids. So. <laughs> yeah, well, it, it, there's a joy to it. I miss I miss my kids growing up. I love being a parent. So, yeah, that was good. My stepdad, I think he, he himself had ADHD and my stepbrother, David, was completely off the wall. He was ADHD. But um, the remedy at the time was go outside and play. Go run. Yeah. Go do something. You know, um, David used to get in trouble because he would do things like um, when it was his turn to wash the dishes, he'd hide them under his bed. And they'd be missing until my mother found them. <laughs> and they were still dirty. So um, that was kind of crazy. Uh, he grew up. I, okay. I would do that too. My stepmom would always get mad at me because she'd fart, find jars of peanut butter under the bed. I'd sneak out at three in the morning and get peanut butter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she would know because there'd be an ants, you know, all going to my room and she, she'd go under there and find multiple jars of peanut butter. Whoa. So I know you have a lot of questions. <laughs> so go yeah, ahead that's, and ask them. Yeah, I mean, that's I'm curious to hear you say that, you know, you think that your dad and, and that your stepbrother had ADHD because and and how they kind of handled that. You know, I think the mindset was a lot like that, too, when I was a kid and, and 
probably JJ when he was a kid too, you know, um, as though that was probably a time where I feel like we were talking more about ADHD and it was becoming more into the awareness of parents. Um, It still wasn't something that I think was widely accepted to a point where parents Mm -hmm. were more open to uh, dealing with that, recognizing it and taking steps to kind of nurture a condition that they maybe weren't ready to even admit was real yet. You know, so uh, I think that was kind of the same mentality. There was abuse happening to ADH kids because parents didn't understand. I mean, I was in parenting classes in the 80s and that's who we got. Parents who were just oblivious. You know, uh, I'll also add something here that's uh, it's fascinating to me. I know we're talking about ADHD. Um, In addition to that, uh, Sandy, my younger brother has autism. And uh, when when he was a young boy, autism was still relatively a new thing. And, um, you know, we we had the movie Rain Man come out and people were all kind of just in awe of what what is this? And my my brother uh, and my parents were interviewed by the, the local newspaper and the headline was put in there. Autism, not just in the movies. Um, so, yeah, it, it, you know, that along with like ADHD, there was so much to yet uh, be understood, like you've been saying already about the disorders and um adhd is one where i've even witnessed people around me still say stuff like you know oh he's mean uh, you know about my son or or, you know he 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 just needs this to help him calm down with which really was an ignorant statement because it wasn't a statement of curiosity and learning what it is that causes my son to sometimes feel you know uncomfortable or uneasy he gets you know he gets anxiety maybe at a uh, you know an earlier stage in the process of communication than others just because he has that mind of an ADHD child so you know I, I think it's it's fascinating to me to hear that you've been kind of working with people with ADHD for so long and you you have family members essentially who have gone through the process of dealing with their ADHD on a regular basis and yet there's so much I guess misunderstanding in the world about it well, I think there's a misunderstanding about all mental health stuff. And I was really lucky as a young therapist because Prozac had just come out. And prior to that, there was not many anti-depressive uh, medications. And we had Ritalin only when I started. And what they were doing in um, the hospital with kids who were extremely ADHD, because I worked hospitals for a long time, and kids would come in with multiple things going on, but one of them would be ADHD. And they just used tranquilizers. No understanding that tranquilizers were addictive at all. You know, finally they went, oh my gosh, they're addictive, and then took those out of the way. Um, the progression of medication, you know, unfolding over time has been amazing. Um and what, what's available, and with that, what understanding. Um, as you were talking about autism, that didn't really get any press at all until the 60s. And then those were the extreme kids who were like Rain Man, you know. So 
Well, one of the reasons I was really interested in talking to you, Sandy, is because, you know, you uh, meet with these kids um, on a therapy level and counseling level. And, you know, I'm sure a lot of the patients that you saw were on medication. But, you know, I think one of the the interesting aspects about your job is is more of the behavior uh, therapy with the kids, you know, uh, separate from medication. And I think, you know, at least in my experience in my life, the rap of ADHD gets a bad rap because it's just like, well, those are medicated kids. You know, that's just a, that's a problem child kid that's disruptive that just needs to be medicated. And why I was interested in talking to you is because like, what, what sort of therapeutic communication tools can we use to help our support our kids during this beyond medication? What are some of the things that we can do as parents to connect with our kids? Well, there's a lot of things you could do to connect with your kids. Period. Um, One of the great things about um, the work I do is because the parents aren't connecting with their kids or they're really, really worried, you know. Um, And the thing about ADHD is the kid doesn't know he has ADHD. Um, You know, back in the early days of ADHD, um, there was only Ritalin, and that was so poorly done that... um, Ritalin goes in your body. It's a, it's a, um, it's a speed, you know, and, uh, goes in your body and out of your body pretty quick. And that they used to have to send kids to the, um, school nurse every two hours to take their medication. So all the, the, a lot of the negative stuff was also coming from kids in class because look, I'm a little girl and I got told to behave myself and I'm doing my math and the kid next to me is throwing pencils. It's really hard to, concentrate while the kid next to me is throwing pencils or screaming or hiding under the desk. And now they're not supposed to actually do that much with kids. I, I'm not sure what they're doing in class, but I have kids who are mildly ADHD and some kids in their classroom are literally hiding under desks and climbing the walls. And it'd be really hard to learn math. Yeah. So let's come back to what you can do. Um, the thing about kids is um, structure. And if structure is loving, but clear, and firm, but loving, it works. And with an ADHD kid, you know, they don't know what they don't know, because they're just, you know, bopping off in the corner. And usually the whole call, especially from the school guidance counselor or whatever for medication, is really about annoyance. This kid is so noisy, so crazy, so yelling, so... Un, unaware of what's going on around him that we're annoyed. So help us unannoy ourselves. Um, the, the, I'll go back to the cases. Well, let me just give you an example. Okay. Mom comes in, mom and dad are divorced. Dad has ADHD. She ditches dad and has Mr. Businessman. Now the daughter is incredibly creative. She's adorable. She's like um, seven and can't be still. And, um, you know, if you're a mom raising a girl, especially if your mom was heavy duty to you, then you might not want a little girl all over the place. So I asked her if I could um, talk with dad. Dad came in. He was medicated, I believe. And all he could say was, isn't she wonderful? Isn't she creative? Isn't she sweet? I adore her. 
And I said, well, mom is complaining of this. I know she does. And, and she does do that. I, I would say she does that a lot. I said, well, how do you handle that? And he says, well, I have it too. So I just tell her what I do. And I t point out when she's doing it. And the two of us just try harder. <laughs> I mean, you know, so, so I don't know if he was giving her a lot of structure, but he was giving her structure in the way of, look, I'm your dad and I love you. And this, this works better. That's yeah, I, a great way. I mean, if you only have that, I love my kid. My kid is wonderful. And I'm just trying to help him do better. And I tell him how I do it. That's amazing, Sandy. And I wanted to ask, is, is that the example of the firm but loving technique that you mentioned? Well, I didn't work with him long. Um, firm but loving would be like... Um, Let me tell you another story. I'm a storyteller. Colton, you know this. <laughs> so there, there was a young lady. Both her and her brother had ADHD, and he was hyper, and she was just ADD. And I don't know. Should I tell you the difference? Um, I, yeah, you both, know what? I would love some clarification. Let's let's do that real quick. Okay. Um, both are. Do you want to see the this guy yet or no? Yeah, sure. If you want to talk about that, we can bring that up. Yeah. Okay. So this is a heat sensitive photography of, um, of a normal brain, which is this one right here. It's all lit up because it's functioning well and an ADHD brain, which is more blue, not lit up and not functioning as well. You can see from the outside, the, the, um, extra energy coming from that brain, that healthy brain, that's a lot of energy, whereas there's not so much coming from an ADHD brain. So let me put that a different way. Our brains work with biochemistry. And if the biochemistry can't get to the right place, guess what? It doesn't work very well. And so for kids um, who are ADD, in other words, um, inattentive, um, difficulty sequencing things, get forgetful. Those kids for structure is really on step one, step two, step three. If you want to do a simple test on your kid, say, okay, I'm going to tell you three things to do and you have to do them all in an order and right, right now. And I can't tell you more than once. And just have something simple. Like I'd like you to go over there, get a pencil Come over here, put it on the table, hop on your foot three times and sit down. That's actually four if you include sitting down. And um, I've had kids that were able to do that. So they didn't have any sequencing problems and they, they were hyper listening. But in a noisy classroom and you get three instructions, forget it. You know, you might do one, you might do two, but you won't do three and you have to have prompts. So... Um, if you're a careful parent, you can keep prompting and just saying, oh, you did great. I think you forgot one. Let's, let's just do it. Here it is. Let's do it together. Um, but if you have um, a kid who can't do it, I had one kid, one of his jobs was to go over there, pick up a toy, put it on the table, run around the table once and come back. He forgot. So he ran around the table 20 times and came back and <laughs> just had to go. Some great running. <laughs> um, so these are the kinds of things that I work with with really little kids. Um, so some of the stuff that happens. So ADD is meaning that you 
you you are just forgetful, you space out, you can't remember, your brain gets drawn off by extraneous stimuli, you know, there's a honk in the street and there goes your brain, you know, and your whole self with it. Um, hyperactivity is um, where you are really missing, by the way, there's 22 places in the brain according to the University of Arizona, and any one of those 22 places, if your biochemistry is off, you'll have symptoms of ADHD. If you have all 22 places, you are very ADHD. So, so if you look at that that way, you know, so uh, hyperactivity are the parts of the brain that need movement to help process and speed up brain chemistry moving through your, your brain. So, I mean, we're not electrical, we're chemical. And so I have a thought over here, like, I think I'll wiggle my finger. Then that impulse has to go to all the parts of my brain that make me wiggle my finger, right? So um, if you did a study of kids with hyperactivity and they're outside playing on the, um, if you if you could tip into their brain chemistry over an hour's time, they're playing outside, they're running around, their brain chemistry is probably normal at that time. And then they come in and they have to sit down and be quiet and study and start reading in a quiet room. Boy, talk about a dip in brain chemistry. Huge dip. To the point where um, one of the doctors I was working with would um, give activities. It's like, uh, especially to young ADHD college students, if you really want to understand your textbook, I'd like you to read it while you're on a um, stationary bike. Because then you're moving, which keeps your brain going, which keeps you inhaling information and being able to handle it. Um, stuff like that. Um, and then there's a third part of ADHD, which is impulsivity. Um, so impulsivity, you'd have no breaks on your impulses when it comes to that section. And part of that, if you look back at this, I want you to notice the difference of the frontal part of the brain, which is called your, um, you know, I hate getting old. I forget things. Um, it, it's the part that makes good decisions. It's the part that sort of orchestrates your whole brain in terms of your thinking and your activity in the outside world. Look at this brain, this ADHD brain. ADHD brain. It's completely cold. By the way, also... Um, Sometimes ADHD and manic depressive in the manic stage look the same. Neither of them have their prefrontal cortex working. Yeah, that's that's okay. interesting that you say that too. Because I, as I was doing research with with ADD and ADHD, you know, I I read a statistic on on the CDC website that was talking about the kids that are diagnosed with ADHD. You know, more than half of them also struggle with other disruptive conditions or behavioral problems such as anxiety or depression and that kind of stuff. So, you know, that's why I think it's really important to not just medicate our kids, but to like get a system in place between parents parents and kids to help them navigate these extreme emotional rise ups yeah. or outbursts or the chaotic thoughts that can kind of arise in the brain. It's, it's not just about medication, but what kind of strategies can we do together? And one of the things that I was really pulling out from, from your um, discussion there was, was walking alongside of your kid, you know, yeah. with, with the dad and, and uh, the stepdaughter that, that both have ADHD. And that's definitely a superpower that I recognize in my house 
households. You know, when you're when you're doing the finger wag and the pointing and the you know go over there and do this kind of directions, it face. never works out. Yeah, in the they're face, it, it never works out. Yeah, but when mm -hmm. I when I can be present and engaged and let's do it together, and these are the strategies that I use when mm -hmm. I feel like this is really when I can have a connection with my oldest. You know, that says you're not alone in this, and I've also have a little struggle with this and we can do it together, you know, and it doesn't feel so overwhelming or, or isolating when you have somebody to walk it with. Well, not even that you get, then you have compassion given to you around this and empathy, and then you can have empathy for yourself. And then that carries over to having empathy for others. You asked me um, about art therapy and play therapy. Yes, yeah. Well, art therapy appeals to some kids because they love to draw. And um, I use it a lot in my work. To I, I work with a lot of abused kids also. And I use it a lot to get information from them. I draw a picture and they tell me what to draw. You know, like, like tell me about your family. What color hair does she have? Does she look like this? What does she say? What does she do? You know, that kind of stuff. Um, but when it comes to play especially in boys, young boys with ADHD, you can rope them into play pretty easily. And then the, that creates a bond. So when I'm playing with a kid, usually by the second or third session, they'll, now we're talking to like five-year-olds and four-year-olds, they'll come up and butt their body up against my leg or something, which says, you're safe. I'm here. I'm hearing you. And, and that, that is so important. So, you know, if kids just took a half an hour a day to play with a kid, no matter what the play is, um, I mean, what, what I notice with parents when I have invite them to play is they start directing the play. So it's the other way around. You're there and you are taking instructions on the play or from your kid. Now, at a certain point, kids don't know how to play with someone. And then uh, that's called parallel play. Like I'm playing over here and you're playing over here. And if your kid is in that stage, you can then take your car and drive it over and say, honk, honk, hello, are you home? And then they might want to say yes, which is interactive. So you're moving their um, social skills up a bit. But if they're there and they want to play Dolly or Paper Doll or, you know, Barbie or whatever they want to play, you know, I have I have soldiers in my office, which I'm sure some people would be upset about. And I have lots of Legos. And so Legos are great. And um, some of my more ADHD kids who have not had easy lives love to build a car to crash. Let's crash this. Let's crash this. And... Um, I see that as a diagnostic piece. If we're in the crash phase, then we're not very safe in our lives. If we move from the crash phase into more happy, interactive. I mean, one of my most abusive kids, my intervention around their play is, this isn't fun. Well, my guy's going to kill you now. He stab, 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 stab. Hmm. Now I'm going to, oh, I need to kill you again. Stab, stab. This isn't fun. Is there a play we can play where... You and I play together. Well, I, we are playing together and killing you. That's not very fun for me. <laughs> Can we do something else? So um, 
Play therapy is great in that it moves it moves a kid along. It just moves them along. I've got a kid right now. Uh, oh, I'll shut up. I talk no, too much. I, I had a question. I had a question, Sandy. This is all fascinating to me, and I appreciate this very much. Um, so, how does play therapy when you're you know with a kiddo one on one? How does that prepare them for when they go out and you know experience play with other kids who may or may not have ADHD and have their own play agenda essentially well it's the negotiation um um if i'm scheduled to be a princess and this is the main princess she's the queen or if i'm scheduled to be uh you know the wizard and there's two armies coming together uh, and i often get told to be the wizard um and then sometimes kids want to be the wizard, so they have all the control, but there's, they're, they think the wizard's wiser. Anyways, um, it's that negotiation because on the play yard, kids, you know, there's some bossy kids and then there's some quiet kids. But <clears throat> having negotiation skills is really important in the world. And you get to, you know, situations come up in play. Like, yeah, those negotiations really are... Those negotiations can be tricky because I know, especially with, um, you know, I've heard JJ talk about his son who has ADHD and and our oldest that's seven uh, with ADHD. I've noticed that the dynamic can result into that kind of bossy dynamic. Well, you're this person and I'm going to dictate who's who and what we're going. And, you know, a lot of the the fights that I break up in the girls' room are due to that. Naomi wants to dictate who her little sister is and what they're doing and where they're going. And, and Aubrey wants some autonomy in that too. You know, she wants to have a little bit mm-hmm. of say, but Naomi or kids with ADHD seem to have a little bit more difficult time rele- relinquishing that control in those play environments. And I really love what you're saying about uh, the play and the communication aspect and connecting with our kids, because that's definitely something that I'm noticing with, with our kids is, you know, she'll, she'll come home and, and say that she had a bad day, but she doesn't want to talk about it with me at the dinner table where we usually do this. But afterwards, if I go up during doll playtime and, you know, either I can kind of hang back behind the door and hear their, their play and the conversation or even joining them, there's a lot more that opens up about what happens in the dynamic at school. I usually Mm-hmm. see it played out between the dolls you know if it was a heavy day oh, yeah. where where Naomi our seven-year-old with ADHD it was maybe a little bit in trouble that day or, or getting just a lot of consequences due to not being a first-time listener that transpires in her doll play you know okay. she's extra bossy that way she's giving the other dolls timeouts and sending them to their room or without dessert or this or this or that so whatever happens in the real world replicates in their art in their playtime you know oh, well, so i think a, it's really important to pay attention yeah, yeah yeah that's true of all kids it's a great way to know what your child's thinking yeah um, so how do we help our, our kids with the ADHD of relinquishing some of that control or that power dynamic that they, that they want so badly? Um, I like to use puppets or stuffed animals or something that, um, like one of the toys I have that with the princesses is a small um, hummingbird. And so if somebody's being really bossy, I have to go, oh, no, you scared Hummingbird. He flew away because 
you're talking so loud. We have to talk gentle to hummingbird or kitty cat or whatever, you know, because um, that's where I can intervene in the play itself. Yeah. You know, oh, my gosh. You know, um, you left the baby in the bathtub. <laughs> we have to pick up everybody and make sure they're okay. <laughs> Let's not hit baby. Let's not yell at baby. All kind, you know, that, kids are um, kids are amazing. I adore working with kids. Kids are brilliant. That, that's uh, that. I mean, that's that's such a reassurance, uh, Sandy, and and uh, I think. Uh, you know, a lot of it comes back on the parents to nurture that environment. I, I will give an example. Um, I tried very, you know, a very similar method with my son. We we had some dolls and puppets and stuff. And maybe toward bedtime, we'd, we'd you know, have a scenario where this doll and this doll came together to have conversation and they'd ask each other, you know, um, do you want to play? What would, what do you want to play? And so I, I saw my son having an opportunity to, to create empathy within himself and, uh, perhaps, you know, in some way, create some mindset based on his experience. Because a lot of times mm-hmm. what I see with him with with kids is, you know, they say, well, I want to do this. And he'll say no. And I want to do this. And he'll say no. But when we get that opportunity to, uh, to practice ahead of time through, you know, like you said, puppets and stuff, I generally see some some sort of result in his play after that, which I'm grateful for. And then unfortunately, like I said, going back on the parents, I didn't maintain that play or there was one time, honestly, Sandy, where he simply said to me, he said, no, I don't want to do that. That's boring. So I'm like, oh, I have to get creative again with something else. And now he's into drawing and he really loves to do different scenarios and he's into uh, Mario Brothers and stuff. So he's drawing a lot of things with with characters. And I realized that's another opportunity to create a story on paper through visual art, which he just is drawn to not to make a pun of it, you know, uh, all the time. So the, the, the connection opportunity is always there. But sometimes I find myself as a parent, forgetting to, you know, keep cultivating that on a regular basis and, and keep using my creativity to to uh, make that flourish. Yeah. Yeah, that's important. It's air, it's and you mentioned air. you mentioned the scenario earlier of you know the 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 father and the mother having kind of different perspective, and I, and because I'm a person who co-parents and I say I co-parent fairly well, I primarily say that because I see his mom as an absolutely wonderful, loving, caring mother, and we get along. We talk about things. We you know we we we. Are, on a regular basis, we communicate how things are going, you know, what what maybe Cohen did today, so on and so forth. Um, and then you mentioned the structure part. Um, do you do you ever have the opportunity to talk with two different parents about structure when it's two different households and and how they can somehow maybe come together to create some form of structure that's benefiting their ADHD child? Yeah, Um let me talk about divorce for just a second, because there seems to be three kinds of divorces. I hate your guts, and I'll tell everybody, which is not conducive to anybody. Um, well, you're you, and I'm me, and you're going to do what you do, and I'm going to do what my I do, and we'll just be okay. And then the really cooperative. Now, if you're in a relationship with your ex that's really cooperative, that would benefit setting up 
more structures. Um, if you're in a, well, I'm going to do my thing, you're going to do your thing, and we'll just limp along, that's better than total anarchy. Um, so in a, in a situation where you have the kid X amount of time and your ex has the kid X amount of time, set up the structure in your home. The longevity studies that um, they did say a couple of really good things. One is that um, they tend to amalgam, you know, take the best from both parents and um, they tend to lean toward a parent that is more loving and actually more structured. Um, so those are two things that are really helpful. And then, of course, if you grew up in a horrible home, um, there's, you're still not lost because there's resilience. And if you have people around you that are resilient, and are supporting your resilience, you can bounce back. I think they said if you just have one person that is 100% behind you, that is enough to make it to an adult with a pretty good sense of life. More than one, bonus. Um, could, could you give an example of what structured looks like? Well, you know, first of all, sit down. What is this kid? I mean, my son was so on the clock. He was hungry by, you know, eight o'clock and starving by 8.15 and freaking out. So structure is, okay, we're going to eat in a minute. And so if he's starting to say, I'm hungry, I'm hungry, I'm hungry, and the food will be done in a minute, you say, okay, I'm going to be putting this food on the table in a minute. And it would be really helpful if you sit and quietly wait, or you can actually help it eat faster if you go get the forks and put them on the table and the cups, <laughs> you know. So knowing their schedule and helping them say, um, you know, helping them say, I, I need blah, 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 using your voice and talking about needs. Now, if you have um, ADHD and oppositional defiant disorder, it may not feel very gratifying. <laughs> like, we're going to have, um, you know, some chicken and mashed potatoes and, and green beans for dinner. No, I wanted hot dogs. Well, that may be true. And this is the dinner. And you have a choice. You can eat it or you can not eat it. But I'm worried that you'll be hungry later. Well, if I don't eat this, will you give me hot dog later? <laughs> no. <laughs> you know, just so this kind of the happily we have these options. I think it's important to give kids choices, but don't give them so many choices that they run you in circles. You know, you can have green beans, or if you don't want green beans, you can go to the kitchen and get a carrot and bring that to the table, put it on your plate, and eat the carrot instead. That's okay with me. You know, always give a choice you can support. Yeah, we're talking about oh. structure here, and I definitely saw this played out over this last weekend here. You know, <clears throat> my wife and I were talking all, all, uh, you know, yesterday and the day before about, God, what a great weekend. We just had such a special family connection, and, you know, kids came home, and we had this whole plan of what we were going to do our family night, down to our dinner, to what movie we were going to watch, the popcorn, we got these bowls we were going to do. And the next day, we had a, you know, roller skating lesson 
planned for a birthday party the following weekend. So we went and we did that. And then we knew we were going to go get lunch. And after that, we were going to go to Discovery Cube. And, you know, the whole day, my wife and I are saying, God, what is man, it's just, they haven't argued. Everybody's been a first time listener. Everything's so great. The second we got home and there was no plan, there was no structure to our day. Everyone started melting down, you know? Mm -hmm. And it just, I mean, that was the trick, you know, and we're sitting there on the couch going, what happened in the last 15 minutes? It's like, well, the structure fell apart. We had everything planned down to the minute of what we're doing, where we're going to be, what we're going to eat, what we're going to do next. And then once that stopped, it was like that ADHD, deep brain starts grasping for what is the stimulant now what is stimulating me you know and well that brings up a couple of things you know like before you go into the grocery store with your kids remind them you know and you can make it a game who's gonna push the cart with me today who's gonna be my helper reaching things and um you know and then if it's chaos you just I'm going to say that, you know, it's okay to actually leave a whole thing of groceries and walk away. They'll pick it up. And, you know, but the flip side of that is just say what's expected before you walk in the door. Yeah. Um, same with coming home. You know, mom's going to make dinner, so I'm going to be in the kitchen. And you have some homework that I think, would you like to do it now or after dinner? Okay, after dinner, so what are you going to do now? Great. And, you know, what are you going to do now? I, you know, you left some stuff out. I'd like to pick that up before you turn the TV on. All that kind of pre, you know, that da, 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 da. Hmm. And just say, when it's done, it's like, thank you. Thank you very much. Great job. Excellent. It's, well, you know, it's, and we're um, talking too about everything that we're kind of talking about seems like it may be geared more towards younger kids i'm kind of curious into like what age range you know this is kind of most beneficial or or used as a tool to connect and communicate with their kids and at what age does it kind of start transitioning to where maybe this play therapy or or, or art therapy isn't as useful and maybe we need to employ some other tactics or and or if there are other tactics does that translate in a way that we're talking about with art therapy or play therapy or are all the dolls and the puppets out the window now? And Mostly it's chalk then. But, you know, yeah. there's a couple of things that this brings up for me. Because you may be working on a lot of skills, but once they hit, like, out in the big world, there would be lots just thrown at them, like the beginning, first day of junior high. Oh, my gosh. Um, and it takes a while to translate these skills you're working on at home with everything else. Like... Um, there's a huge problem when you enter junior high about uh, actually believing that you have to do the homework in a certain timely manner <laughs> because you maybe didn't have very much homework or it was no big deal in elementary school, but now it's a big deal. And kids are they're just drowning. They go to X amount of classes, maybe their parents, and, and parents don't realize that such a big transition is huger. Is that a word? I think so. For an ADHD kid. And, and and the structure around school is gigantic. Um, the kids who are most successful that I see in junior high and then at, uh, moving on to high school are the kids who have a place to do the homework where a parent is close by. Yeah. And um, 
some kids actually do better with music on and some kids just are distracted by everything. Um, so what's the, le- you can ask them, you can have conversations. What distracts you the, le- the least? What helps the most? And then do the thing where, okay, so for this week, we're going to try this. And you're going to, you're going to have the privilege of listening to your radio the whole time you do your homework. And at the end of the week, we'll just see if that's helpful. Has that helped you this week or has it not helped you? I, I noticed you changing a bunch of channels and I, I did that take away from the amount of time it takes, you know, did that add more time to the amount of time it takes to do your math? You only had five problems, you know, so how long did it take you? That kind of stuff. Because yeah. that's that's hard to for a kid to conceptualize that. Well, one of the strategies that I kind of heard recently surrounding this that I've kind of seen as benefit to to our seven-year-old is, you know, a lot of uh, educational institutions around testing times and with kids with ADHD, the thought process of is give the kid an extra 15 minutes to complete the tests, you know, where for an ADHD brain, that feels like torture. Your yeah. time is our enemy. You know, and you're telling me that I just have to sit here for more time than the other kids with where that's where my brain goes wild is the more time I'm left to the thoughts, you know. And so where the strategy that I heard was instead of giving the kids extra 15 minutes, give them that extra 15 minutes, but you give them breaks in between. So every 20 minutes, they get five minutes to kind of stand up, walk, stretch their legs, pace around, get out of their seat and get the blood moving. And then they go back to it rather than just you are stuck there at that desk until you finish this test, you know, because again, the the ADHD brain needs that stimulation. You know, it needs to, I, I, in me in an office setting, I'm, I'm pacing up and down as I'm doing my calls, you know, I'm not, not at my desk. And same thing with our, our daughter, you know, she, her teachers have kind of grown into the expectation of let her draw as the lessons are going on. Because if you take the drawing, the piece of paper and the pencil away from her, she ain't going to pay attention. That ADHD brain is going to bounce off the walls. But if she's got the picture and drawing, she's listening, she's fully engaged, and she retains all of that information. That um, doctor I told you I was working with, he would prescribe gum chewing. Mm. Just go to class and chew your gum. And that makes school crazy. They don't want that at all. (laughs) But just some movement. Um, My son was just so ADHD that he had to have something in his hand because we had a chair and he was home from school because he, he went to a special school when he was younger because he had some vision problems. But when he, we got here and he started um, junior high here, he was home for a couple hours. And um, if he didn't have anything to do, he'd pick the chair until the chair was just ripped up. And it was like, so I got bowls of little hand puzzles and twirly things and doodly bops. And now, of course, they have fidget spinners and all these fidgety things that are allowed in class. Oh, man, there's, that's funny you say that because uh, my dad had a Firebird when I was a kid and he would go and pull it in the bank and go run into the bank to use the ATM and leave me in the car. And when he would get back, the whole top of the Firebird, I'd 
pull at the little strings on the roof of the car mm -hmm. and I would unravel his entire upholstery in there. And my dad would come back. What did you do? Yeah. Uh -huh. <laughs> and so they made it uh, because some ADHD kids were playing with the lighter. Um, so they made it now that kids can't stay in the car by themselves. All their kids can, but not little kids. Yeah, JJ, I'm curious. I mean, I know that your school has like a kind of a co-op program where parents can go in and help teach the class and be a part of the learning structure there. And I'm just kind of curious uh, what your thoughts are on that, JJ and Sandy here, of how that can be beneficial to an ADH kid or, you know, do you see that that kind of helps them in those learning environments, JJ? Well, yeah, I'll first uh, back up and say um, that uh, my son goes to a charter public school and uh, they have what they call the whole child philosophy approach to teaching kiddos. And so there's a lot of effort and I guess just just yeah, just the effort to understand children where they are first. Um, so, so they accommodate, you know, my son, he doesn't have a 504 or anything like that in place at this moment. Um, but I don't, he's in first grade, so I don't know if that's, that's really of great importance. Cause they, you know, they sit around uh, the carpet and they do circle time and they talk about what the expectations of the day are and whatnot. And, and, uh, I've been in the classroom because we have what's called co-oping where, where each parent of their child, uh, gets to do a minimum of an hour and a half teaching with the kids in the classroom every week. And I've absolutely loved it. Yeah. And, and when I get to witness the teachers um, kind of interact with children who are maybe a little bit distracted or having a hard time focus, they'll take a second and they'll say, is there, you know, do you need such and such to help you in this moment? So it really does feel like they're 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 listening to the needs of the child as opposed to saying, "Hey, we need to focus here. We need to do this. Everybody is working on this. You're being distracting. We need you to focus on this." They're they're really trying to understand each individual child. And uh, as a parent who gets to come in and see the celebration of other parents also getting to come in and and be part of the classroom, I think that that sets up the kids for more success because they they feel safe with the idea of seeing their parents with them and learning with them in the classroom, as well as then taking that and going home and continuing that family setting at home. So yeah, I've been, uh, we've been very blessed with a public school that offers such a program. And I know that's not a commonplace thing in public schools. Pretty exciting. I mean, you're right about that. And you know, cause we're just talking about ADHD. We're not talking about kids with sensory issues. We're not talking about, um, kids with um, other motor or high anxiety, you know, all those things are part of who goes to school now, you know. Um, there's a college, by the way, back east, and it was started by an ADHD man. And one of the things uh, is that, I don't know if it's a, it's a high school or a college, but anyways, number one, the first week is to try and work on when you have to pay attention. So, um, and you're allowed to bring toys to fiddle with and stuff. Um, and then so they say, okay, so now for the next five minutes, you have to pay attention. And then, then they say, okay, you can take a break from paying attention. And then they doodle or whatever they're doing. And then they come back and you have to pay attention. So that they're actually experiencing themselves with high attention and, and then 
a break from attention. Yeah, you know, there are some really huge gifts of ADHD. One of them is hyperattention. Yes. You mm. know, um, and you can see it when your kid is playing a video game. You know, the house could burn down. Yeah, they're still doing that. <laughs> That's very true. Yeah. <laughs> That's definitely a thing that our seven year old does. <laughs> the baby brother can be pooping on the floor and she doesn't even know. She's totally locked into her book or whatever it is. It's inattention, inattention, inappropriate attention, yeah. like hyperattention or absolutely no attention. You know, it's just, it's an interesting bag. Yeah. And one thing I wanted to just highlight, um, <clears throat> as I've experienced it through learning about my son and, and ADHD in general, is that, uh, again, going back to that word connection, uh, I experience uh, a lot of positive response from him when I'm giving him positive, you know, uh, affirmations. Uh, so instead of giving him connection when, you know, maybe he's doing something that's a little out of line, I'm giving him connection when things are normal or he's doing something amazing. So he sees that, you know, he's not a problem. He instead sees that there's so many great gifts within him that he's demonstrating on a regular basis. I think, again, what's so common um, a lot of times is people respond to the outbursts. They respond to when things aren't going well. And then when things are going just fine, they, they tend to ignore that and don't, you know, give focus and praise to that. So our kids, you know, one of two things, they realize they can gain connection by getting into an outburst situation, or they have, you know, internal self-esteem issues where they now they think that they're just no good. They're nobody. And, and, uh, with, with, uh, a personal experience that, uh, that we're going through at the moment with our son is that, uh, at school, he does have, you know, social anxiety and social challenges that he's trying to work through when, especially when he's at recess and kids have said some things to him because they don't really understand him. And he internalizes these, these very harsh words. And then he brings them home. And then he tells me, you know, I'm, I'm not fit for this world and stuff. And it breaks my heart because, you know, here we are desperately trying to figure out what, what best communicates with our son. What's hit, what's the real truth. Whereas other misunderstandings about him are being thrown at him sometimes too regularly. And again, I'm grateful for the school he has because the teachers have almost just everything but mastered that approach of that positive reinforcement. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's interesting cool. you brought that up too, JJ, because a, a place that I wanted to take this conversation today was around guilt and shame. Um, you know, I, I, I've, you know, talked to a lot of people that struggle with ADHD and, and some therapists too that say that that's not an uncommon emotion that's brought about with uh, kids struggling with ADHD and adults on um, this guilt and shame aspect. Not, you know, I've done something wrong, but I am bad because I am this way. And, you know, through some talks that me and you have talked about, I, I've, you know, here your, your son has been struggling with that. And I know from my own personal experience that I have struggled with that big time in my life you know and i just kind of want to pose the question to you sandy of where do you where do you think that that comes from is that that somewhere because you know our adhd kids are disruptive and they they do get a lot of slack and attention for having these behavioral issues in a social setting that 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 constant stop doing that stop being that stop acting like that is just brought about that guilt and shame of them or is it something kind of with the neurodivergent side effects of ADHD that that guilt and shame kind of comes from there 
I think guilt and shame is one of the problems of our whole society, not just yeah. ADHD. I mean, look at it. The person closest to you that you love the most is probably the most positive person to you, right? I mean, think about it. So it's it's that loving, supportive approach that's gonna that's gonna work. I, I think we're very hyped up something in all of our lives that causes us to feel not enough. I love that term enoughness because when I started with um, working with the therapy group I work with, enoughness was an issue. You know, like I'm not good enough because I don't have enough money. I'm not good enough because I can't sing or I, my nose is too big or whatever. And kids are particularly cruel. Um, the reason they're cruel is because they, you know, where do they fit? If their family's running around overworking, overtaxed, and not really feeling out where a kid is, or if there's an alcohol or drug issue or something, you know, all of that can be cranked into I'm not good enough, or I'm I'm not enough somehow. Um, and my son had this one thing. This was in preschool. This bossy little girl, they had some big blocks and the kids had moved them into roughly a boat shape. And he came out and he, um, she said to him, we're playing boat. You can't play. We hope you drown. And the teacher happened to sit right there and went, wow, that's not okay. So I heard it from the teacher. Well, my son had this huge ship on his shoulder. He's not good enough, you know. He can't see well. He can't, you know, he gets in trouble for fiddling. And, you know, Nathan's way of cleaning the room was to throw it all under the bed. I mean, and he came out one time and go, Mom, I don't have any socks. And I knew he had socks. I went to the garage, got the rake, raked out 52 socks out of the bed uh, from under the bed. And I said, now you have socks. He goes, but, Mom, they're dirty. <laughs> so let's wash them. <laughs> you know, just that kind of stuff. Oh, you know, yeah. it's, it's, and that's it, something that our therapist told us too, in the early kind of diagnosing stages of our seven year old. And as we're going through this process, um, you know, her therapist said, look, uh, organization and cleaning is going to look different for your ADHD kid. Mm -hmm. You know, you're not going to have mm -hmm. bins that are labeled and everything's going to be in its place. Her organization is like you say, shoved under the bed or, or all in one chest. And she, sorts through it by throwing it all over and doing that you know so there's just certain that but to, and you know to maybe a, an adult or an organized adult like my wife that loves like shows like the home edit and you know marie kwan's this and that she's got everything in a label maker for every little every weekend she's reorganizing something you know that's really hard for her to sit and look at that and go ah, you know be okay with it you know but i can understand a little bit of that you know it's though it's disorganization to us it's it fits right into to her thought process to her, you know, it makes yeah. complete sense. So there's some ways around that with the room. Um, I had by the by the end of it all, I had two rules. It had to be sanitary and it had to not be dangerous. So you can use those two criteria because those are valuable always. You know, it's like well, right now, it's not sanitary in here. You left three sandwiches on the floor. And um and now we have ants. So you're going to have to clean up the whole room because now it's unsanitary. <laughs> or 
you know, if I came in here because you fell down in your room and broke your leg, I'd break my leg coming to help you. So it's not safe. Let's, and then, and then it was like, you know, at least there's two sides of the room, you know, stuff like that. And my son being in efforts to clean his room would often just throw junk away. Nathan, your piggy bank has, you know, lots of money in it and you threw it away. Oh, well. Well, I, I rescued the money here. <laughs> it's harder when you are married and you have a partner who's ADHD. Mm. Oh, yeah. I'm sure my like, wife would tell you that. <laughs> yeah. You know, because mm-hmm. I'm, I'm in the process right now of, of actually getting diagnosed. Um, you know, I've had some initial consultations and gone in for a test. And, you know, it's a long process. They set me up for like five different testing appointments to, to have all these conversations and, and you know, um, and meetups with these doctors. So I'm just going through that process now at 35, you know, and gosh, I, you know, even just the initial consultation with the doctor, you know, he's letting me go on these run on sentences for my, I'm tangent after tangent after tangent. He goes, yeah, we'll set these appointments up, but I'm, I'm, pr- I'm pretty sure you have it. <laughs> you know, it's just yeah. the, the first meeting. Yeah, he can I mean, just tell yeah. the way my brain works. <laughs> yeah. Well, the good news is there's also some real gifts. Did you know that um, for an ADHD person that running and thinking at the same time work? Wow, that's probably why I find that exercise so therapeutic to me, because it's a place where I can just go get lost in my thoughts. And it just becomes a safe meditation where I can just run, but I always got to bring it back to that breathing because I'm out of breath and I'm trying to focus, you know, and that's that's probably why that works for me. Well, just think about the guy carrying the ball down to the end of the football field. He can run and think. Mm. We have half the population can't run at all. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's so great. I'm, I'm so glad you, you know, you brought it back here to an ADHD being a superpower, you know, because that's really what JJ and I really try to uh, circle back to around here is this isn't something that really has to be scary, or really something that um, can even um, be disruptive in a life. If anything, I think if we get the right mindset and thought process around this in our kids, this can be used as a superpower and really take our kids far in life. And the most important important lesson that I think that I've pulled out of our discussion here today is, you know, what we can do as parents to support our kids at as early age as possible. You know, we've been talking about this play therapy and and how we can kind of use that as a way to kind of give our our kids tools and kind of handling their emotions or or those disruptive tendencies when we're not around. Because like like we're saying here, you know, there comes a point where, you know, the kids are transitioning into junior high or high school or college and, you know, if we're not active about helping equip them with these tools, then it can feel a lot more overwhelming later in life. And, and I'm speaking about that on my own personal experience, you know, um, and, yes. and the, atten- the attention that was given to maybe my disorder and, and how I was uh, treated being disruptive uh, as a kid. So, you know, I think it's really important for us to kind of get behind this as early as we can, start having these talks with our kids and, uh, you know, letting them know that we're going to walk alongside of them with them uh, to help them figure that out, I think is just so wildly important here Sandy is there a is there a message that you would generally like to say to a person with ADHD and is is just a person or a child who's uh 
you know, trying to figure out what does my place look like? Well, we were using the term special brain for a while. Um, and um, a lot of ADHD kids are really brilliant. And so what we're going to do is we're going to work on the areas that work the best for you. And then how do you get to those areas if it's not working for you? So like um, you thought of five ways to do the dishes and you did a great job with the exception of the water all over the floor. So what can we do differently that will make that work for you better? Because the dishes part is great. They're clean. Whoa. You know, that kind of stuff. Um, and just knowing your kid. I mean, let me give you a, a comment from an adult ADHD person who's a drummer in a band. He, could, he said, you know, I like my diagnosis of ADHD because I have, I now understand that I have to make more choices. So on a day that I have to adult, I might take my medication so I can focus better or drink more coffee or whatever he does to focus better. But when I go to play drums, I am so wanting to be in the moment and spontaneous and even impulsive that I just let myself go. And that is the place where my ADHD absolutely helps me. So I can, I can make choices around how I want to adult or how I want to do things that, that I know I have a hard time concentrating on. And I think that's, that's a great thing. I mean, think about all of us. Don't we all need to know who our best self is and have compassion for the part that we don't do well? So if we have compassion for the part we don't do well and we feel good about the parts we do do well, isn't there just a way we can just get that a little better? This has been such great stuff. I, I couldn't agree with you more. I think you really kind of opened our eyes here to some really great information and techniques. And um, I can't thank you enough for coming on the show and, and sharing your time with us. Um, before we go, is there anything, um, you know, is there any um, um, resources that you could give our audience or, or any directions that you may point them to kind of understand this a little bit better or, or to kind of, um, you know, reach out to some really great resources? sources that, that may be out there that, that aren't on our radar yet? Um, I know that there's a lot of books for kids and there's more books for adults who often, you know, as a parent, they often do not understand ADHD. Um, one of them, I love the name of it. I drive my mother crazy and my mother's crazy about me. <laughs> That's just a great book. It's written for kids and you can read it to your child. Um, um, I think there's a lot of books about special brains. Um, Colton, if I come see you, I'll bring you the book. Great. It's a great yeah. book. And not to worry, you guys, um, I'm going to put that in the show notes for you guys. I drive my mother crazy because she's crazy about me. So <laughs> that's great. I, I love that title I, I too. I drive my mother crazy and my mother's crazy about me. <laughs> great. Well, JJ, do you have any uh, other questions for Sandy here before we let her go? I really appreciate your time, Sandy. And and my question to you was was already asked toward the end here, which was, you know, what would your message be? Because I think that's that's ultimately 
what I believe we as, you know, a society best can best do to serve serve each other is to really try and work to understand each other and where we're coming from and support that and, you know, praise that, really celebrate that. Um, a lot of times I see other the other direction taking place, but it's 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 really not a difficult process once you get into the process of doing it. And I thank you for providing us with with so much opportunity to 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 think about that. Well, it's been a pleasure talking with you both. Well, thanks for listening, Great. guys. Please make sure to like, share, subscribe, comment, all that jazz. And thank you again, Sandy Hurd, for sharing your time with us and all this really wonderful information. I'm your host, CJ. I'm JJ. And that's JJ. <laughs> Man, we're going to get this right one of these days, JJ, I swear. <laughs> but we are the ADH Dads. Thanks for listening, guys. Until next time. Thank you.